Morning, Mill City. Good to be with all of you on this beautiful June Sunday. My name's Aaron Stern. For anybody who are, who's brand new with us, I'm the lead pastor here and I uh, want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. So glad that you are with us today. Mark Twain, the author, said, I am not troubled by the things in the Bible which I do not understand, but I am troubled by those things which I do understand and which I find very difficult to measure up to. I wonder when we come across things like that if we don't cut Jesus' teaching down to size. We sentimentalize it or we over-spiritualize it. Or we make it just an idea to embrace in our heads rather than a way of life to embody. But Jesus never said that following Him would be easy. And I want us to recognize that maybe today, the, as we continue through our series on the Sermon on the Mount, the portion of Scripture that we're going to come across today may be Jesus' most radical teaching yet as he talks about nonviolent resistance and enemy love. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. He says, You have heard it said, now this is uh, now a repeated pattern. He has uh, done this, these little vignettes. You've heard it said. He's referencing something in the Torah, the law. You've heard, it said, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Not too long ago, a couple of my boys got into it. And one of them hurt the other. He kind of ended up hitting his head against something and ended up with a, a little knot on his head. And, but when that happened, not only did he feel the pain, but he wanted to inflict pain on his brother. And so he, being smaller, started saying, I hate you, and I hope this happens to you, and I can't believe it. And all this violence comes out of his mouth. We live in a counter-punching world where we have an equal and oftentimes, oftentimes overboard reaction. And sometimes it's not only expected, it's actually celebrated. Eye for an eye, Jesus says, is what you have been taught. We see that a lot in our day, political mudslinging. You say this, I'll say that. Happens on the playground. You insult me, I insult you. You punch me, I punch you. Happens around our world. You bomb me, I'll bomb you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. Well, how's that working? Is there more peace in our world because we said that's wrong and I'm going to make sure that that stops? Jesus is inviting his followers to a radical alternative to fighting violence with violence. And his 
radical alternative is nonviolent resistance. It is not do nothing and just lay down and, and kind of just, just take it. It is resistance. It's just not the same as what you received. It's nonviolent resistance. It is the way of the kingdom to fight with an equal and opposite reaction, to respond in the opposite spirit. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he's referencing several different passages in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus chapter 21 says, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Leviticus 24, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now this is written to judges or for a court of law, but it seems pretty barbaric to us. Oh, he punched you in the eye? Well, come on over here. Now it's your turn. Oh, he, he cut off your hand? Well, come on over here. Here's a, here's a sword. You cut off his. It was actually, though, revolutionary in this day. This was ancient history. Because it was laws to keep revenge from running wild. Controlled justice actually became and is the foundation of the justice system that we find ourselves in here in the West. Punishment meets the crime. But Jesus says, I want to go deeper. I want you to take it further. And so he gives ideas of what this radical alternative to equal revenge might look like. He starts off with the example of if someone slaps you on the right cheek to turn the other cheek. Now, in this particular day, all of these examples have particular meanings that we might not necessarily uh, just see automatically. To be slapped on the right cheek was in this particular day, the first century, not only violent, but also absolutely insulting. Because it communicated inferiority to the person being slapped, superiority by the person that was doing the slapping. It was reserved for masters and slaves, men to women. Parents to children, or Romans to Jews. But to offer the other cheek meant that they would punch them. Notice how he says slap, but then he says offer the other cheek that would have used the same hand, which means in order to do that, they would have had to punch them. Equals fought with fists. So it changes the dynamic from superior and inferior to equal. Then he says, if you are sued and they want to take your shirt, give them your coat. In this day and age, they would have had kind of undergarments and then also a coat or a cloak. This cloak would have not just been for a fashion sense or uh, just to stay warm on a nice, cool day. But this was also, in some cases, a, a way of survival. Their cloak would have been for keeping them warm at night. And so to give away not just your shirt, but your most potentially valuable tool of survival, and to stand in this courtroom naked, 
would have in some ways exposed, (laughs) pun intended, exposed to the one who is taking everything and exposing the way in which they've gone overboard. And then it says, if somebody forces you to go one mile, you might think, well, that's kind of weird. Who would force you to go a mile? In the first century, the Romans occupied Israel. They were in power, and there was actually a a law or a rule that a Roman could ask a Jew at any time to carry their pack or carry something for them, but they could not ask them to carry it or force them to carry it more than a mile, only one mile at most. And so Jesus is saying, if a Roman forces you to carry their pack a mile, offer to take it a second mile. He's saying you're resisting, you're just resisting in a different way. See, in all three of these examples, they start with force, but they end with choice. Because the person then who chooses it regains agency and dignity and puts the power dynamic from a superior and an inferior to an equal, made in the image of God. And it breaks the chain of violence. Because if the first mile was forced, the second mile is given out of love. I love what Giovanni Papini, Italian journalist and poet, wrote in his book, Life of Christ. He says, It is better that my face should suffer than my soul. You can hurt me as much as you wish, but you cannot force me to follow you into a mad, brutal rage. The fact that someone has wronged me cannot force me to act wrongly. Now, as I continue, as we continue on in this teaching, I want to make sure that you hear what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, saying, stay in an abusive relationship. He's not saying, continue to be bullied or there is no punishment for wrongdoing. What he is saying is, don't become the evil you are trying to to overcome. He's saying better than tit for tat is no vengeance at all, which in this day and age and in our day and age is revolutionary. And do you know that there is no other religion, there is no other God who asks for that of their followers? Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his A Knock at Midnight, one of the stalwarts of nonviolent resistance said, through violence you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence you may murder the hater, but you do not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. So it goes. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Dallas Willard, as maybe you've heard, if you've been around Mill City, you've heard me quote him or talk about him regularly. He was an author. He wrote books like The Divine Conspiracy. He was also a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California. And in one particular class, uh, there was a young freshman who started to 
be disrespectful to Dr. Willard, not just in tone, but kind of talking down to him and saying as if he wasn't very smart and saying some different things. And you could feel the rest of the class like, uh-oh, how's this going to go? And I can't wait to see Dr. Willard respond to this guy. And he's going to, he is going to pound him. He is going to put him in his place. And this freshman goes on and he gets to the place where he finishes his little the diatribe. And you could feel the bated breath in the classroom. What's he going to do? How's he going to stick it to him? And Dr. Willard says, class is dismissed. And a few of the cl- class came up to the front and asked Dr. Willard, like, we all saw that happen. Why did you just dismiss the class like that? And his response was, I'm practicing the spiritual habit of not having the last word. The last punch. Jesus is pushing back on a counterpunch culture. Romans chapter 12, this idea is carried on by the Apostle Paul. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sounds a lot like the beatitude. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Don't gossip about them. Bless them. You might be saying, Aaron, this is fantasy land. This doesn't work. Just like love We are called to be faithful to the way of Jesus. Even if we think it doesn't work. See, Jesus clearly taught this and lived the way of nonviolent resistance. So the question is, do we trust what Jesus says? Do we believe that He means what He says? Christians called to healing, not hurting. Now, I want to just pause and acknowledge maybe a few questions that might be rolling around in your head, and certainly they are questions that, that circ- are part of the, the conversation around nonviolence and nonviolent resistance. What happens if there's an intruder that comes in to my house and looks like they're going to be violent? What do I do there? What if what if and can we, should it kill somebody to save someone else? Or what about the death penalty? Is there a difference between violence and force? What about the military? What about war? What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he, the fact that he was a pacifist, but he was a part of the assassination attempt on the life of Hitler? Good questions.
I encourage you to read for further reading if you want to, because we're not going to go into that right now. If you want to read further, I highly recommend Fight by Preston Sprinkle. Excellent book that will uh, examine a bunch of those questions and more. All that to say, we should have a healthy suspicion of violence. As followers of Jesus, killing of any kind should make us squeamish. As followers of Jesus, there should be no celebration of violence or death, even in war. So if we're asking the question, is violence justified, I think we're asking the wrong question. The question should be, how can I be more faithful to the way of Jesus and do what he said? Jesus takes this already radical and challenging perspective and ratchets it up. He links nonviolent resistance with the practice of enemy love. As he continues on in verse 43, he says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Now Jesus is referencing, again, something from the law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor. Now you might be saying, does it go on and say, hate your enemy? It does not. Jesus is addressing how this particular passage was being practiced in this day. Because the belief was, if you're supposed to love your enemy, then you don't love those who aren't your enemy. Therefore, it became idiomatic in the first century that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in this particular day, the easy, quick response in the imagination of Jesus' Jewish hearers in this day was the Romans. They were their enemies. They were overtaxing. They were uh, oppressing. They, they, were, they had taken their land. This was, they were their, in their face, enemies. Jesus says something that is mind-blowing, that is like, I don't know if I can do this to his hearers. The law, he's saying, says don't overreact with revenge, but Jesus says overreact with love. We might say, well, you did this, therefore I do this. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to overreact with love. Jesus uses a picture of the sun as he describes enemy love. He says that the sun falls on the just and the unjust. See, the sun doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate and fall, only give light and warmth to those who are people who are kind and bring justice and, and resist evil. The light and the warmth of the sun falls on even those who are maybe the most evil or bringing about the most harm. What's his point? God's love doesn't discriminate either. God's love falls on all in the world. Those who we might think deserve it or don't. 
And the Pharisees were the ones who, in this particular day, the religious leaders of the day were saying, ah, 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 you're, too, you're not clean enough. No, you're not good enough. Oh, you've broken too many laws. Nope, you're not, you're not enough. And so if God's love doesn't discriminate, ours shouldn't either. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyr from the Second World War, says our behavior must not be, be determined by the way others treat us, but by the treatment we receive from Jesus. If we respond by the treatment of others, it's a counterpunch culture. Jesus is saying, react in the opposite spirit. Now, when we hear love our enemies, I wonder if our trivial use of love in our day doesn't help us too much. Because I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the Broncos, my wife, and God. But I will not lay my life down for Cinnamon Toast Crunch or the Broncos. But the same word is used. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act of will to do good. Does it mean that there are not feelings that can be associated? They can be. But it is not the primary driver of what we, what Jesus is calling love. The love that Jesus is talking about here is transforming love. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that love is transformative and redemptive? Does it actually redeem and do something? If we ask the question, does it really work? The answer is yes, because Jesus proved that it does. You and I proved that it does. Because God loved His enemies. We were once His enemies, and God sent His Son, and His redemptive power of love changed lives and changed hearts. There's a documentary called The Accidental Courtesy about a black man named Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis decided that he was going to love his enemies. And so he reached out to members of the KKK in order to befriend them, to greet them. In doing so, they became friends, and as a result, the KKK members gave up on their hate and would give to him their KKK garb hoods, robes, and any of the other types of paraphernalia. He's done this so many times that he has enough that he wants to start a museum. What's interesting about the documentary and about his story is the hate that he received from the people who said he should never do it. Don't do that. You can't do that. You're wasting your time. You're going to get hurt. Maybe so. He wasn't just passively taking it. He wasn't saying, oh yeah, I, I embrace racism. Just go ahead and be racist. No, he, he decided, I'm going to have nonviolent resistance and I am going to love my enemies. I love what the theologian Howard Thurman wrote in his book, Deep is the Hunger. Of all weapons, love is the most deadly and devastating. And few there be who dare trust their fate in its hands. 
As followers of Jesus, Jesus is calling us to trust our fate to love. And so the question for you and for me is, who are your enemies? You might say, I don't, I don't have any enemies. Who do you struggle to love? Who do you want to counterpunch? Those are your enemies. Disrespectful teenager? Demanding client? Raiders fan? <laughs> President of the HOA? Self-centered family member? Disappointing spouse? Member of ISIS? Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, white supremacist, pro-choice advocate. And what does Jesus say? Pray for them. You say, I can't pray for them. It would be a test of whether or not there is actual love in our heart and we are able to do what Jesus said. Can't pray for them. Maybe evaluate, how do you talk about them? How do you talk about your enemies? Is it love, language of love and honor? Or is it language of hate and disrespect? I had a family member a little while ago use the phrase, let's go Brandon. As followers of Jesus, is that enemy love? Matthew 5, the very last verse, verse 48, says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Maybe you've heard that verse before, and you think, I can't be perfect. But too often we've heard that verse just kind of isolated, hanging out there by itself. And we reinterpret the word perfect through Western lenses. Western Lenses says no flaws, no mistakes, everything done exactly, perfectly right. But what Jesus is actually communicating here is not perfect in the way that we would just understand it, but it means whole or mature. And in context, to be whole or to be mature is to love your enemy. To be more like God is to love our enemies just as He did for us. See, we can measure our maturity as a follower of Jesus by observing how quickly our response to our enemies or being treated poorly by someone is to love them, to pray for them, to not mock them, to not gossip and curse them, but to pray for them. To bless them. And you might think, Aaron, not only does this seem like a fantasy land, I can't do that. Maybe somebody or a group of people have come to mind for you. You think, impossible. You're right, it is. Following Jesus is impossible. You might think, well, that's encouraging. It is impossible on our own to follow Jesus 
is not a self-help project. To follow Jesus is a God-help-us project. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need help. We need strength to do what Jesus has called us to do. I think an appropriate message on Pentecost Sunday. To be reminded and be thankful for and celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit did not come just for fuzzy feelings and exciting experiences. The Holy Spirit came for empowerment of believers to do what Jesus called us to do and become who Jesus called us to become. To embrace non-violent resistance, to embrace enemy love. And not only do we need the help of the Holy Spirit, we need others. We need people in our lives. We need strong community to process things or, hey, this happened to me and I, I'm, I'm struggling to, to respond in love. To be prayed for, to be encouraged, to be supported. Find a city group if you're not in a city group. We need others. And so I don't know where you find yourself, what step you need to take today. Maybe you need to join your city group. Maybe your step today is to put your faith in Jesus. To say, I, 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 I'm, I'm a counterpunch guy or I'm a counterpunch girl. It's a simple beginning. And the beginning is a trust in Jesus. To say, Jesus, I give you my life. Which is an easy, accessible, grace-filled, has nothing to do with anything we've done. Start in a tough journey. To follow Jesus. What we're saying is, I surrender, I give you my life, and I will follow your way. I want to walk in your way. I want to live in such a way that it shows that the kingdom of God has has rulership and reigning in my life and is reflected in the fact of how I treat not just the people I love, but how I treat those who I struggle to love. So for all of us, I want us to take a moment, not just here today, but throughout this week, to ask ourselves the question, who are my enemies? Who do I discriminate in relationship to love? And to pray for them. Spend time praying for them. Like not, not a, God, will you, uh, <laughs> will, you take, will you take care of them for me, please? But God, I, I release them to you, and God, I pray that you would bless them. God, I pray that they would experience the fullness of joy in their life. God, I pray that that yes, I pray for repentance. Yes, we pray for transformation. But God, I pray for relationships to be strong. I pray that their business would succeed. I pray that you would continue to develop them. and They would have friends and strength of community. That they would find mercy and they would be merciful. Take some time this week to pray for those who you might Describe as your enemies. Together,